The Bible reading this evening is from John chapter 1 verses 9 to 18. John chapter 1 verses 9 to 18. The true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. And from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. This is the word of God. Good evening, church. Good evening. evening. It's more like it. My name is Black for those who are joining us for the first time, and I'm the young adults pastor here at Christ Church. And it's a privilege for me to be opening up God's word for us uh, this this evening um, and just to be focusing our minds uh, on this next season that we're going into. It's an important season for all of us. Uh, we're looking forward to all the food we're going to have, um, the family that we're going to see. Um, uh, but I think we really forget the reason for, for the season. Uh, we forget uh, why it is that we're supposed to be celebrating uh, during the season. Um, and by forget, I don't even mean that we consciously forget, uh, but it's just in how we live in this period uh, that we forget uh, what the reason is. So I, I pray and hope that by uh, the end of uh, today's talk that you would be encouraged to to live um, as one who has been called by, by God. Um, and if you don't know who Jesus is personally, I pray for you that this evening you would walk away having a personal relationship with him. Amen. Amen, amen. amen. It is December, uh, and if our year was a movie, December would be the end credits. Right? Um, so the story has come to an end, the lost scene uh, fades into black, uh, and we all sitting there in a dark cinema uh, as the credits roll. Um, normally, you would find three groups of people uh, in the cinema when that happens. Um, the first group of people or the first type of person uh, is the person who's sitting there thinking, Jesse, this is the most amazing thing I've ever seen in my life, and I cannot wait to evangelize everybody to come see this movie. Right? And that might be some of us sitting here uh, this evening. As December hits, we've had a pretty good year. Right? And we can't wait to go back to Limpopo to tell them how amazing our year has been. We'll make the five-hour trip down to KZN to share the fairy tale that 2022 has been for you. Some of us got new jobs. 
Uh, some of us got married, not looking at any people in particular, but uh, some of us had babies. Um, I don't know why they call them blessings, but uh, you'll, you'll figure out soon enough. Um, some of us bought new cars, new homes, uh, and some of us even cleared our debt. You know, credit card debt, student loan debt. It's clear, you've had a fairy tale of a year. Um, but as you look around the cinema, there's a, a second group of people or another type of person uh, who's sitting there really indifferent. Uh, this movie did not really move them at all. I, this is the five out of ten group, or the five out of ten personality. Um, they, this year hasn't uh, yeah, been eventful. There's been good things that have happened, but nothing to write home about. You're not thrilled to go home because you don't have any cool stories to tell them, right? But as the first two groups get out of the cinema and leave, there's always that, that one group uh, or one type of person sitting behind all alone in the dark, uh, disappointed, thinking, I wish this thing had never started. I wasted my money. What the hell was I watching here? Right? Uh, and as some of us sitting here in this room, as December hits and the credits roll, uh, your life has been a, a bioscope, right? Um, white people... Not bioscope, uh, bioscope, right? It's been rough. From the first scene, there's just been flames. And you thought to yourself in January, what such a dramatic opening. Hopefully by June, things will slow down. And comrade, they didn't. The pressure got worse, right? That's where the danger is. And it's still getting worse. And you sitting there all alone in the dark, thinking... My finances are nowhere, my family is in chaos, my faith is in shambles. In fact, you didn't even feel like a Christian most of the time this year, and you cannot wait for this nightmare to end. Amen. Amen. All right? Or am I the only struggler in the room? Amen. Hundreds. All right. There, there's something called the, the illusion of, of change. Okay. Um, I'm not going to get into the details of what this thing is because that, that would be a whole sermon. But I think there's truth that we can extract from, from this theory. A lot, lot of filmmakers, uh, storytellers, authors use this. In a nutshell, what the illusion of change is, um, it says that in a movie you shouldn't change the character fundamentally. Right? The staring should never change. Um, and most of us actually don't even notice that. But what film directors do is that they will change a lot of things around the character to make us believe that the character is changing. But the character cannot change. Because if the character changes, then the very thing that draws us to the character, um, if that is removed or changes, then we will lose interest and we will disconnect from the movie. Right? Um, I spent three years in film school just to learn that. That one thing. Okay? Um, but why do I bring that up? I just want to say this evening that we shouldn't fall into the trap um, of the illusion of change, regardless of how our year has turned out. Do not fall into the trap of the illusion of change. Uh, if, if I've confused you with what this theory is, here's what I'm getting at. Do not believe the lie that whatever changes have happened to you this year fundamentally change who you are. Okay? Amen. Let me say that again. Do not believe the lie that whatever changes have happened to you this year fundamentally change who you are. Negative changes or even positive changes. Positive changes, in fact, are used by God to remind us of the goodness of God and to give us a foretaste of what heaven is going to be like. 
So for those who've had fairy tale years this year, it's just a reminder of God's goodness and a foretaste of how heaven will be like. Our negative changes are used by God to remind us that this is not our home. And they're supposed to create a longing in our hearts for our home to be with God in heaven. Okay, so there's some of us who have gotten new positions. You have become an executive manager and suddenly you believe that you're supposed to be an executive manager in every relationship that you're in. Right? It's walking around with your chest puffed up. Now we're supposed to worship the ground that you work on. Right? Just because you got a new promotion at work. Don't let that good change fundamentally change who you are. On the flip side, and I say this to my strugglers because, let's believe, I've been struggling this year. Right? Don't let the struggles of this year and how things have turned out convince you that God is not good. As you're sitting here, some of us are fighting that, that conviction in our hearts. Right? started off as a, a little whisper. And then over the years, as the pressure got worse, it became a strong conviction. And you're sitting here thinking, God cannot be good because of how this year has turned out. Do not let the disappointments of 2022 change your posture of worship towards God or how you treat other people. It's been a rough year for you, and suddenly you want to make life rough for everyone else. Don't allow negative changes in your life to negatively change who you are fundamentally. Amen. Amen. Church, the thing that I believe God wants us to see from uh, the passage that Heather read uh, uh, this evening, and we'll get to it. I mean, we believe in the Bible in this church, right? We'll get to it. Uh, but the thing that, that he, he wants us to see this evening and actually challenge us on uh, is this. Every change in our lives, positive or negative, pales in comparison to the change that the arrival or the birth of Jesus has had in the world. Every change in our lives, regardless of what it is, pales in comparison to the change that the arrival or the birth of Jesus has had in the world. Why do I say this? Because the arrival or the birth of Jesus, which is the very thing that we're celebrating in the season, uh, brings with it an event that has significantly changed our lives for all eternity. What does the birth of Jesus bring? Well, it brings the death of Jesus. Jesus was born to die. We are celebrating the birth of Jesus, who was born for that one purpose, to die for the sins of the world. And so that one event is what we use to trace the the course of history. That one event is is what determines who spends eternity in, in heaven or in hell. It's that one event that determines who are the children of God and who are not. It is that one event that fundamentally changes who we are from the inside out and subsequently changes our reality. Church, it is this one event, the death of Jesus, that came as a result of the birth of Jesus that we should be looking to because it is this one event that should anchor us regardless of the changes that happen in our lives. Here's what the death of Jesus wants to scream at us this evening and asks all of us. You might have gotten a new position at work, but the death of Jesus asks you this evening, are you still a Christian? You might have gotten married this year, 
But the death of Jesus looks at you square in the face and asks you, are you still a Christian? You might have been a parent this year for the first time. and The death of Jesus asks you this evening, are you still a Christian? You might have fallen into depression, changed your meds, gone into hospital, feel like the world is, is, is meaningless. But the death of Jesus asks you this evening, are you still a Christian? might have lost your job, finances are a touchy subject, your family is in shambles, your relationships are in a disarray. Again, the death of Jesus asks you this evening, are you still a Christian? Are you still a Christian? See, church, the point that I'm making um, and that I want us to, to walk away with this evening is that as we come to the end of the year, it really doesn't matter how our movies have turned out. If we remain the central characters of our movie, then whatever change happens will change us because we will be dictated by the changes in our movie. But if Jesus is the central character of your movie, it doesn't matter what changes have occurred or will occur in future, negative or positive, because again, his birth, his arrival, his life, death on the cross and resurrection have already determined who you are, and that will not change. So let me pray for us uh, as we get into God's word that he may help us uh, to hear him uh, clearly uh, from the Gospel of John. Let's bow our heads. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that it was read um, for us. Thank you that we could hear you speak to us. Um, Father, as Kate mentioned in her prayer, uh, many of us come here with uh, different shapes of hearts, And only you know what has shaped those hearts in the ways that they stand this evening. Um, Father, speak to us through your word. Challenge us. Train us. Rebuke us. um, Train us to to live lives that reflect that truth. That you have come to die for sinners like us. And that, that one event has changed everything about us regardless of what happens in our lives, Lord. We will only turn to that very cross to give us meaning, purpose, and direction. Because change is inevitable, Lord. Today things are good, tomorrow they're horrible, but you remain the same. Your death on that cross, Jesus, will never change and what it has accomplished for us. So we pray for uh, your word and all of this in your wonderful name, Jesus. Amen. 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 We have three points for our sermon this evening. The first one, uh, let's jump straight into it. If you're taking notes, rejected or received, verses 9 till 13, rejected or received. Uh, it will be helpful for me if you keep your Bibles open. Uh, so let's read uh, verses 9 till 13 of John chapter 1. The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Verse 12, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So John is revealing a crucial truth for us here uh, in verses 9. By implication, what 
what John is saying in verses 9 is that the world is a dark place without Jesus. And that's what John is saying when he speaks of this light that has come into the world. Clearly, if there was no light in the world, then the world is a dark place. Because otherwise, why would light come to light? Light only penetrates darkness. Things in the dark don't make any sense. They don't have any shape, any form. Uh, we cannot see, therefore we cannot ascribe meaning to anything in, in the darkness. Um, so we need light to give us clarity, to give us meaning, to give us purpose. Um, and so it is obvious what John is saying to us in verses 9. Without Jesus, the world is formless, it's meaningless, it's purposeless, and it has no direction. And so it's no wonder if we are going through tough times in a world like this, in a world of darkness. It's no wonder that we will then conclude that our struggles and our suffering and our pain have no meaning, have no purpose, that all of this is pointless. It's no wonder that God then becomes a cruel dictator who is detached from our pain and suffering. But then it all changed. Turn to your neighbor and say, but then it all changed. (laughs) But then it all changed. The world was in darkness, but then it all changed when the true light came. When the true light arrived, when Jesus was born, it all changed. The true light pushed back against the darkness and the confusion in this world. In fact, John puts it very clearly in verses 5 of the same chapter. Listen to what he says there in verses 5. Um, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Darkness will not overcome true light. This is not just any light, church. It's not the lights that we use when load shedding rudely visits us, right? It's clearly not the lights of ESCOM because we can't even trust those ones. But this is the true light, the light that brings illumination to everyone. So every single soul sitting in this room, even if you are listening to this on our website, what this means is that we all have an awareness of God. You might not have a personal relationship with God. You might not call him Father, but this light makes you aware that there is a supreme being, a ruler and a creator of the universe. So none of us have excuse. This true light not only empowers us to push back against darkness in the world, but this light awakens us from the very darkness that exists in our own hearts. That's why this is true light. It doesn't call us to just go out in the world and push back against the darkness. It first does the work of cleaning our own darkness in our own hearts. But every time that this darkness has been spoken of, or or rather when this darkness arrived, two things happened. And those two things still happen today. And those two things might even be happening in our hearts as we sit here. There's a group of people who who reject this light. There's a group of people who receive this light. Verses 10b, John says, Yet the world did not know him. Same world that was created through him did not know him. In verses 11, he says, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. And so there are some of us sitting here this evening as we hear the truth about God being preached or the truth about Jesus, this true light. We are still actively rejecting him, choosing other alternatives, because after all, alternatives are better than Jesus. 
you're sitting here and you're probably too woke for this Jesus stuff. You're too smart for this Jesus stuff. You're too educated for this Jesus stuff. But then there's some of us sitting here in this room, Christians, who have given our lives to Jesus. I think verses 11 applies to us. Listen to what verse 11 says. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. And I know this is speaking of Jesus' Jewish people who rejected him, and we saw that form of rejection ultimately expressed in how they hung him on the cross. But I think this also applies to Christians this evening. That you might be sitting here, and because of the struggles that you've gone through this year, you are refusing to receive this true light in your heart. Again, if he is true light, why are you sitting here in total confusion? Why does he feel so distant? Why does he feel like he has all the power in the world to do everything, but he just does not have power to end your suffering? So you don't want to receive this light. And you're pushing back. To my woke brothers and sisters, I want to say this first. That this light called Jesus, he alone gives true wokeness. Our culture claims to have woken up, for, 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 uh, woken up to some truth that liberates them from the shackles of religion. But I want to say to, to that claim that without Jesus, who is the true light, there's no wokeness. Dare I even say that a woke non-Christian does not exist. Only true followers of the true light are truly awakened. Awakened to their own darkness. Awakened to the sin in their hearts. And therefore, empowered by the same true light to go push back against the darkness in the world. In their own families, in the spheres that they occupy at work, in the communities that they live in. That is what true wokeness is. To my Christian brothers and sisters, listen to what John says to you this evening in verses 12 and 13. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Let me encourage you with these words, that in the midst of your suffering, fight. Fight to believe in the name of Jesus. Fight to believe that in the name of Jesus, you are who Jesus said you are. Fundamentally, it is in the name of Jesus that you are reminded, according to these two verses, that you are the child of God. You are not your suffering. You are not your depression. You are not your failures. You are not your disappointments. You are not your weaknesses or your traumas. You are not born of man's blood or the flesh or the will of man, but you are born of the will of God. Child of God, you are made of something different. You are made of a different substance. You suffer differently. Your suffering and pain are not meaningless. They are not purposeless. They are not without direction. God is creating something beautiful in you for his glory and for your benefit. And you might not even see it now, and that's fine. But again, the fight is not in seeing it. The fight is in trusting in Jesus' name and what that name has accomplished for you. That name means Jesus is the savior. He's the rescuer. He's your redeemer. That's who you are. Saved, rescued, redeemed. Believe that. That's where the fight is. 
So don't reject them, but receive this true light. As you come to the end of the year and you reflect on how things are, you might be struggling. Fight to believe in the name of Jesus. Our second point for uh, this evening, we've seen uh, the first one rejected or received. The second one revealed uh, and revered. Verses 14 and 15, read with me of John chapter 1. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. So what John is telling us here is that this true light that we've seen and spoken of from verses 9 till 13, this light is also the word of God. The word through which the world was created. Nothing in this world that was ever made was created without this word. This word became flesh. This word became one of us. Dwelt among us. This echoes Old Testament language of a God who tabernacles with his people, who tents with his people. And it's such a profound thought to think the creator of the universe, in all his glory, in all his might, as big as he is, he chooses to tabernacle in bodies similar to ours. As you eat seven colors, maybe it's December, it's 14 colors. As you eat 14 colors, let that truth sink in. The creator of the universe tabernacles in a body like yours could have chosen any other way to come but he comes to tabernacle with us Um, and that's the main reason why we celebrate in december god who condescends who lowers himself his fullness he was pleased to dwell with us in human form and there's a lot for us to say there but i want to leave that for later Speaking about how, how God lowered himself in Christ to come tabernacle with us. Um, but there's something that I want us to, to spend time looking at. As we think about Jesus lowering himself, what does this say about your body? This amazing truth that God and Jesus was pleased to dwell in human form. What does this say to us about our bodies? Well, it should echo in our minds or tell us or scream at us uh, that God elevates the body. The body matters. The body was not an afterthought in God's plan for humanity. The body was fashioned by God as a wonderful vessel for his glory. So what does that mean for us as we think about the December holidays? How do we treat our bodies over the holidays? (laughs) let's be honest we treat our bodies as an afterthought over December holidays with the amount of gluttonous eating that we we do right? Um, and I'm not saying that we shouldn't eat food is is good and in fact over December it's a a good reminder of what's awaiting for us in heaven Um, but then you know when you've crossed the line And food has become your savior. 
What about the irresponsible drinking that we partake in over December? Or the ungodly sex that we have? Most of us sitting here are going to close work around the 16th or the 24th of December. You have a week or two weeks of December. Do not let the euphoria of December make you forget that your body matters. It's two weeks. Child of God, do not forget that you are a child of God. Do not forget that the God of the universe who condescends, lowers himself, becomes like one of us, chose a human body. So therefore he thinks it matters. Be who God has called you to be over December. John continues to speak of the glory of this word. Um, in the same verse, in verses 14, uh, when I was preparing this, I wondered why it was important for us to note this. Uh, well, it's because of all the other uh, prior uh, revelations or forms of revelations uh, that came before Jesus. Those other forms of revelations were lesser and not as sufficient uh, in comparison to the actual word of God, Jesus himself. Dreams, visions, angelic messages, those were not sufficient for, for people in the Bible and for us to fully understand or know who God is. But then it all changed. Do you want to say to your neighbor, but then it all changed? <laughs> when the word became flesh. Because <laughs> when that change happened, who cares then about dreams and visions and angelic messages when God himself is in Jesus. All that which is God, holy, mighty, beautiful, honorable, wise, divine, just, and merciful, all of that is seen in Jesus. I remember the World Cup in 2014. Martin was preaching um, on Hebrews chapter 1. And uh, he used an illustration I'll never forget. It's a bad illustration, boss, but I still remember it. So it's fine. Here we are now. Uh, but what he said, in speaking of prior forms of revelation uh, compared to the final revelation that is in Jesus, he said, imagine, this is the 2014 Soccer World Cup, but luckily we're in the 2022 uh, Soccer World Cup, so it's still relevant. Uh, but imagine right, a boy who grew up playing with a plastic soccer ball all his life, all his life and wanted to play in one of the biggest stages ever, which is the World Cup, the FIFA World Cup. Um, and he gets there, and he has that nice leather FIFA f- football, right? Why would he trade that nice leather FIFA football for a plastic football that you get at Spa for 15 rand? Right? He wouldn't. It would be madness. And it's the same thing that John is saying here to us when he speaks about the glory of Jesus as the word becomes flesh. That all these other prior forms of revelation are like the plastic ball from Spa, the 15 rand, dreams, visions, and all of those other things. But it all changed when the word became flesh, when Jesus himself came and tabernacled with us. We saw God in the flesh, fullness of God, all God's character. He shows us the graciousness and the truthfulness of the Father as he lives as a human. The interesting thing here is in verses 15, see how John the Baptist uh, responds to this glory, this appearance, this word becoming flesh. 
He responds in humility. He responds in awe and reverence. And most importantly, John plays his position as he sees who Jesus is. John realizes he's not the star. He's not the staring of this bioscope. But Jesus is. Right? It's the one who came before him who's greater than him. So John plays the extra in this film. Remember what we said at the beginning. If Jesus uh, does not become the central character of your film, of this movie, then all the changes that happen in your life will change you. But like John, if we can respond in humility to see this word becoming flesh and see his glory and play our position, he's the steering, he's in the center. And it doesn't matter what happens in our lives or what occurs in our lives, we won't be defined by those changes because we are defined by the staring. We're defined by the one who is the lead character in this film. And that's Jesus. So remove the burden from yourself of seeing yourself as, as the staring. See Jesus in all his glory, the word becoming flesh. Such a great miracle. The greatest miracle to ever happen in this world. The God of the universe becomes flesh. Let that picture, let that truth remove the burden from your shoulders of trying to be the main character. Take a step back and let him take center stage. Amen. Amen. So we've seen um, the light and how it was received or rejected. We've seen how uh, the word is revealed and revered. Uh, lastly, uh, let's see the Redeemer in verses 16 and 18. Uh, 16 to 18. Listen to what John says. For from his fullness uh, we have all received grace upon grace. Uh, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth come through Jesus. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Jesus Christ is the very grace of God, verses 16 tells us. It says that from his fullness, we receive grace. That's how full of grace Jesus is, that he gives grace doubly, right? Um, black people, that's a word. Google it. Um, it means grace upon grace. That's how full of grace he is just gives grace upon grace. See, regardless of how the year has turned out for you, um, we, are never, uh, we never run short of our need for grace. Ever. Regardless of how your year has turned out. The Lord knows we need grace every moment. And grace is not just the forgiveness that we receive from God. And God knows we need forgiveness every single moment because we sinners. But grace is an empowering to live in light of the glory of God, moment by moment. I cannot live for the glory of God. I'm a sinner. But grace empowers me to live moment by moment for the glory of God. John then goes to verses 17 where he contrasts grace and law. Um, It's very interesting for us to note there. Why does he do that? Well, firstly, because the law is beneficial. The law is good, brings us to our knees, 
The law makes us see our sin for what it is, evil, vile, and ugly before the Lord. The law stops us in our tracks. But it is grace that makes us sons and daughters. If the law treats us as convicts before the judge, it is grace that treats us as family members, as heirs of the kingdom of God. The law reveals the truth of our condition. But it's only Jesus who brings us grace. See, Jesus not only tells us of how broken we are, but he provides himself as a solution. He doesn't only show us the truth of the ugliness of our sin, but grace himself provides forgiveness. The law exposes our sin. Again, it reveals the ugliness of our sin. But it all changed when grace came. Grace came and offered us forgiveness. Notice the words that John uses. He says the law was given to Moses, but grace came. Grace arrived. Grace was born. Grace penetrated and broke into history. The law is good, but grace is better. Because both give us truth. But only one saves, and that is grace. Verses 18, John tells us that the Son, Jesus Christ, the true light, the Word of God, is in fact God himself. And that we've seen God if we have seen Jesus in the flesh. Christ is truth embodied. He's the image of the invisible God. Meaning that if you know Jesus, you know God the Father. I said some of us sitting here this evening have a knowledge of God, but we might not even know God as Father. But it's those who intimately know Jesus who then subsequently know God as Father. And I think it's worth us pausing in and revisiting this, this truth of God descending into, into, into human form and lowering himself and becoming like one of us. Why does Jesus do that? Well, he does that so that we, we can relate to him, so that we can know him. But as we've seen what the law exposes of us, it's impossible for us to relate or even know God still covered in our sin and our shame and in our guilt. So he has to remove that first. He has to remove our sin. He has to remove our guilt. He has to do away with our shame that keeps us separated from God. How does he do that? Well, he descends or condescends even lower to the point of death. Because your sin and my sin separates us from a holy God. And sin is such a cosmic offense that it's only punishable by death. So Jesus takes that death upon himself on your behalf. And that's the reason why he arrived. That's the reason why he was born. He was born to die. It's this one event, church, again. This death of Jesus on the cross that should anchor who we are. That's never going to change. He's done it. He's accomplished it. He's fulfilled the purpose that he was sent for. 
and those who receive that and believe that are fundamentally changed for all eternity. And nothing else that happens around us will change who we are. So as we come to the end of our sermon this evening, I ask you the very questions I asked earlier on, regardless of where you are. If the arrival of Jesus is true, more than 2,000 years ago, and that arrival came with his life that he lived perfectly, that led him to the cross where he died perfectly for you and I, have you received that gift? Have you become a Christian? If you have, it doesn't matter what promotion you got this year. The death of Christ asks you, are you still a Christian? It doesn't matter if you've fallen into depression this year and you're struggling. The death of Christ stares you square in the face and asks you still, are you still Christian? And if you're sitting here this evening and you're not a Christian, forget everything else about Christmas, okay? Forget the yellow cavella, it's not happening. Forget the 14 colors. But remember that everything that we celebrate is supposed to remind us more than 2,000 years ago. I was a baby who was born. And he was born to die for you. Your wretchedness, your sin, your ugliness, he came to take away your sin, to give you the right to be called a child of God. That's why he came. So if you haven't received Jesus and believed in his name, the Redeemer, the Rescuer, the Savior, make this December count. Let this one event change your life for all eternity. Do not reject him. Not tonight. He's calling you. He's drawing you to himself. Receive him. Before I pray, if you are here and you want to receive this Redeemer and the Savior, please come talk to me after I pray. Um, or speak to David, Martin, or Kate. Um, let's find out how you can receive Jesus in your life. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for giving with your one and only Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who came not as a 33-year-old man, but as a baby, to live the lives that we failed to live from the day we were born as babies, who lived as a teenager when we were rebellious teenagers, and lived in as adult when we failed to live lives that are, are holy and righteous in our later years. So thank you, Jesus, that your life and your death are sufficient for us. Thank you that you were born. I don't think we thank you enough for your birth. But thank you that you were born. That you became like one of us. So I pray, Father, that you withdraw those who are not Christians those who don't know Jesus as the true light or their redeemer that this evening you would draw them to yourself that they too would be called children of God that they would look back at the 
December of 2022 as the, 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 the month that changed their lives for all eternity. I pray that you be with us as your children, um, regardless of where we are, Lord. Whether we've had a fairy tale of a, a year or we've been struggling. Father, I pray that you point us back to the cross of your son. That's where we find meaning and purpose and direction, Lord. Please do these things for us, because in and of ourselves, Lord, we don't have the strength. We need your grace. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.